Well, hello everybody, and it's another Thursday for the Huddle. And uh, as you know, the Huddle is sponsored by Gopher, and I'm your host, Bob Pangrazy. We discuss a lot of different issues and concerns related to physical education and teaching. So, if you have suggestions about topics you'd like to see discussed, we're going to put up a place on the website in the near future, uh, and you'll get a chance to have your say. I have some ideas um, that I want to share with you that I plan to do in the future so that we can have some idea. Also, if you want to download your professional development certificate, you can go to the pd.gophersport.com website and download it there. So we try to make that easy for you. Um, you know, Gopher makes a strong effort to connect with teachers at all levels in health and physical education. And most of you already know that Gopher is renowned for the quality and guarantee of their products. However, check out their website because it's continually updated with podcasts and new products and videos and support for many challenges that COVID and teaching have brought to the table. They also have a new feature uh, that I really uh, read through and spent some time looking at on federal relief funding resources. And I think it's a must read for you. Um, the site will help you find funds in your state and district, and it offers examples of how funding can be used for PE. In addition, CARES funding uh, success stories are also included to give you some ideas for seeking needed equi equipment and supplies. So remember, I always say to you, if you don't ask, you'll never receive. And PE teachers just hate getting turned down. You get turned down once and you say, ah, what's the use of asking? You know. You got it. We always say that a person has to hear something seven times before it even starts to register. That probably means that's about how many times you're going to ask to ask for equipment funding. Uh, so take a look at uh, gophersport.com slash blog uh, slash, and we'll provide that link in the huddle so you don't have to try to remember it. Well, let's get started with our two uh, esteemed guests today. I'm delighted they're here. Uh, Dr. Greg Dreyer was, and I say was because he retired just a, a few minutes ago, just about. Um, he was the director of the Center for Physical Education, Sport and Activity at Kingston University in London, England. But he's just retired and decided to devote his future to My Move. It's an app he co-founded to help young people develop a physical activity habit. He's an experienced physical educator, uh, and he's taught preschoolers to postgrads and everything in between. So you'll enjoy him. I have another star here, Jordan Manley, teaches health and physical education at STEAM Academy in Lexington, Kentucky. The school is recognized for offering project-based learning and student inquiry to create authentic learning experiences. Jordan earned his bachelor's degree in kinesiology and health promotion from the University of Kentucky and his master's degree in teacher leadership. So without any more ado there, uh, let's, let's get right into developing physical activity habits in physical education. Uh, Greg and Jordan place a lot of emphasis on teaching students more than just do it. And our discussion will examine why physical activity is a habit that needs to be learned in the school setting and practiced both in school, out of school, and throughout life. Traditional physical education is often focused on short-term outcomes rather than monitoring the process of physical activity for all students. So, you know what, I'm gonna start right off with that word, uh, physical activity habits. And and just, uh, you know, I thought that'd be a great talking point. Just, Greg, just what is a habit? And, and if you wanna be specific, talk about a physical activity habit. Yeah, well, good evening, Bob. And thanks for having, having invited me on the show. And um, it's a great question. What is a habit? Well, um, over the last few years of, of my work at university, we, we were drawing upon a lot of the literature around behavior change and habit formation. And I know it's something that Jordan's followed closely as well. And we've discussed this in the past. But we, we've all got lots of habits, things that uh, many of which we're really not that conscious about. I think one of the defining features of a habit is that it just becomes embedded in your life. It doesn't take a lot of thought. Um, it takes a lot of thought to change it. It might take a lot more thought and effort to build a habit in, at certain stages. And just, just to kick us off, uh, the, the basic model that's generally presented in the literature is that there's three components 
to a habit. The first is that there's a cue, there's a prompt. That prompt sparks a behavior, a response, and that response is generally met with some sort of reward. Uh, obviously, uh, we, we all have health-promoting habits, and we all have habits that many of us want to shake off and, and want to change, and they might be uh, habits that are detrimental to our health. So a very typical one might be smoking cigarettes, which uh, I'm pleased to say most of the data says is declining in most part, many parts of the world. Um, so, you know, the, the smoker, for example, might see uh, uh, the cue might be a cup of coffee or a beer or, or another drink, um, and then that would get the smoker to reach for a cigarette and the reward would be, reward quote unquote, would be the nicotine here. But we're really interested in what we think are more positive habits. So what what's the cue to uh, spark um, a physical activity habit? And that's something that we'll probably explore. Um, and the last thing for me at this early stage is uh, some something tends to become a habit when the reward is reaped just before the action. Uh, and many of us who take part in regular physical activity could probably relate to like tying up your running shoes and just getting that tingly adrenaline sense of excitement or sometimes trepidation or something that is going on, some physiological response. So, yeah, I think that that's how we view habits. Um, there's lots of professional habits that teachers that we do, we try to embed in our teacher education program. But I think what we're going to focus on today is much more about habit formation with the with the young people. Jordan, um, you're a high school teacher. How would you weigh in on that? Yeah, so I want to point one thing out that Greg said, and and that is that habits are normal and natural routines. And so when we think about physical activity habits, it's about helping students develop these normal and natural routines within their life related to physical activity. And, you know, Greg talked a lot about the psychology behind it and uh, the cueing and the rewarding. Um, when we associate physical activity with outcome-based rewards, uh, we might be selling ourselves short. So if we look at a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear, he makes a really good argument as to why we should align our habits more to our identity. And he calls this the golden circle. And he's got three layers to this circle. Uh, y is in the middle of the circle. Sorry, my light just flicked off. Why is in the middle of the circle, how is in the, the second layer, and what is on the outside of the circle? James Clear kind of argues here that most people start in the outer layer of the circle by defining what it is that they want. Uh, that could be to improve performance. Uh, if you're a runner, you want to decrease that time on your run. If you're a weightlifter, you want to increase the weights that you're lifting. Uh, however, these types of habits can be problematic because what happens when young people don't reach the, the outcomes that they set forth at the beginning? That's very discouraging. Additionally, what happens if um, it's taking too long to get there? Uh, they might default back to, well, this isn't a worthwhile process. But if we can help students connect more on an identity level by teaching them about the affective uh, measurements and components of physical activity, then I think that we can help them build systems around uh, identities, like I am a physically active person would be a value uh, that could be ingrained in a kid's identity. And then building systems around what those things look like are going to lead to outcomes that may not be defined from the outset, but they're gonna be positive and kids will enjoy those outcomes regardless of what they are. I keep hearing the word positive. So I think I hear you both saying, you know, you, you say reward, you say positive, whatever you want to, however you want to couch it. But I, I think I hear you both saying somewhere in the activity habit, there, ha there has to be something in it for the participant. It has to be a positive experience and you can't sell it by forcing people to do a fitness routine or failing. Uh, you talk a lot, Jordan, about the outcome there and and not reaching an outcome. And, you know, the, I always say the difference between a youngster and an adult 
is that uh, adults have the right to quit if they don't like it, if they don't receive any reward or it's too hard. They just quit and kids sometimes can't and it, it builds on itself and becomes negative. You know, a thought came to me, um, why is it that it's so easy to teach the inactivity habit, Greg? Why is it easy to teach the inactivity habit? Well, um, that's a really good question, Bob. I, I think maybe we're just not very good at teaching the activity habit. I don't think we go out of our way to teach the inactivity habit. And I think it's, it picks up on that theme about positivity. And I, I would tend to go to the notion of connectedness. And within the physical activity uh, domain, uh, Jordan touched upon the affective domain, the emotional response that young people are feeling towards physical activity. And uh, I'm not saying that physical educators are the only socialising factor that uh, where if we do a great job, the kids get into physical activity. If we don't, they don't get into physical activity. It's probably much more complex than that. There's probably all sorts of factors at play from the home to the environment to lots and lots of different things. But our controllables are what we teach and the way we teach it. In other words, the, the environment that we create for the young people to experience physical activity in the only place where, as you rightly said, Bob, it is... A, uh, a compulsory statutory part of education at some stages and I'm, I'm aware that in high school in this in the United States that the young people might get one or two semesters of, of phys ed um, certainly over here in the United Kingdom it's a, it's a compulsory part of the curriculum all the way through to the age of 16 so if we get it right um, which is really complex and really difficult and and lots of people listening to this are working extremely hard to get it right. But having been in the field not, not quite as long as you, Bob, but you know for for three decades now, um, I, I think you know I, I think we get more reflective in asking questions about what we've always done. And um, I think we've really taken our eye off of the key socialising behavior changing factor, which is exactly what Jordan said, what are the young people feeling when they are involved in a physical education, physical activity setting? And if we really focus and hone in on those feelings, not what they're doing, of course the two are related, but what they're feeling might be to do with who they're with, um, how success is defined. Jordan spoke about the outcomes. Lots of these things are well within the control of the PE teacher in each and every lesson. So there's some really key professional decisions that are made constantly. You know, I was in school for 16 years and one of the things that I reflect on and I, I can still feel when I, you know, when I close my eyes and remember my school teaching days is just the intensity of the number of interactions that you make over the course of a day. If you're teaching, I don't know, four, five, six classes, it's hundreds of interactions. And having been in teacher education, pre-service teacher education for the last 14 years, it's that's something that's really hard to, to emulate uh, and it comes with experience. Well, it really is, yeah. Well, just an observation. Um, I don't think it's it's too hard to understand why we've taught the inactive uh, habit. I mean, we we put kids in school at three, four years of age, and then tell them to sit down, sit still, and be quiet. Uh, yeah. And we do that for twelve years. How you're bound to learn it. I I, um, I adopted guide dogs for the blind, um, dogs that didn't make the school. But the way those dogs are trained, they're labs, and as you know labs are highly active and they're on a short leash and they sit by you the whole time because that's where they're going to have to be in adulthood and they go through the training and so the ones I would adopt had been trained that way and when I took them out to be active they weren't like a regular lab okay they 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 hadn't learned they had to learn to be active again so um, I think we have to actively work at at talking about undoing that activity habit. And I'm not suggesting, just as you said, Greg, it's very complex. Um, but I am suggesting that we have taught kids for 12, 14, 16 years to sit still and be quiet. 
and they learn pretty well. Um, they sit for a heifer. I'm not sure they're quiet, but they sure uh, they sure do uh, uh, sit. Well, you know, a, a question I always get here is, how do we get kids to be active outside of school? I mean, teachers are really becoming much more aware that schools aren't offering enough activity for kids. They just aren't. So how do we get kids, Jordan, to to carry over what we're teaching them and taking it out and and then us monitoring those habits outside of school? Sure. I think it kind of tacks on a little bit to what we just had talked about, but creating clarity of, of vision and purpose in the PE classroom is really important. So uh, talking to your students about what it is that you hope they get from their experience in your class. And when we talk about affective outcomes and, and helping kids relate to physical activity, the clarity of vision might sound something like my my want for you from this experience is that you develop a strong positive relationship to physical activity and that's that's it that's all i can hope for as your teacher and uh, some of the things that we do in my class you're not gonna like but it's okay for you to tell me that and that informs my teaching and it also is a connection that you've made with physical activity about for some reason or another whatever just happened wasn't for you. But my answer to how might we get kids more active outside of the classroom starts in the classroom. We have to make PE about big fun and big is an acronym, broad, inclusive, and general. Um, we have to provide PE that is for all kids and that is, um, I'm gonna use the word dynamic, it has to provide them opportunities to engage in as many activities as possible. And when I use the word general, it shouldn't be um, specific in the nature that if we are going to play a game that resembles basketball, I don't need to spend my time necessarily teaching you all the rules of basketball. We just need to use the basketball as a mode of transportation into fun. And so those mini games can take on all types of forms. And I think a lot of PE teachers are doing a great job of this now. But you know, at, at the secondary level, I asked my students just today, what, what's something that you've been graded for in a PE class in the past? And one of my students said, well, we took tests on the, the rules of, of sports games. And I just thought to myself, like, maybe that's something that we can do away with and get kids more focused on the fun that comes from engaging in the activity. Um, I don't think necessarily knowing the rules is something we need to have fun. Yeah, great. Um, I can't believe you would allow kids to tell you when they don't like certain things. <laughs> that, you, know, you know how huge that is? It's humbling, how else, but how else it's important. How do you as a teacher get any feedback and start to understand who the human beings are you're teaching that are out there in front of you if you don't have the self-concept to absorb some youngsters saying, I think this stuff sucks. Now, yep. I would immediately teach that kid there are better ways to say it than that. And that's a whole different issue. But the point is, it's okay because you don't understand what your students are about. If you just assume I know exactly what they need. In fact, you know, I always hear the story about, well, we're going to teach this because it's I'm going to teach this for you because it's fun. You have no clue what's fun for kids. You've forgotten. You're old and out of touch. And, you, you know, it, 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 you got to listen. You got to hear. You have an audience out there and they're, as you use the word dynamic, they are. They're changing all the time. So, yeah, good, good answers, you guys. They make a, they make a lot of sense to me. Um, I, I like it. Um, I know that you both work hard on and take pride in teaching students uh, about how to do something and along the way why. You alluded to it, Jordan, um, earlier. Um, but what does that mean in terms of teaching? Is that a big long diatribe about why we need to do this and you sit them down first and you talk to them? What does it mean? Either one of you can tee off on that one first if you like. All right, go ahead, Greg. 
Um, okay. Um, well, I was going to bump it over to Jordan because I know he, he, he's, he does this pretty regularly. So I think he's probably more, more of a, a better place to start. Over to you, Jordan. Yeah, good. Sure, yeah. Okay. Sure. So, you know, in every, every school district has different requirements, but I know that I'm, I, I have to post a, a learning intention, a success criteria. It's expected that I review those things at the beginning of class. And, and that's just the start. Uh, that kind of falls under this domain of, of teacher clarity, uh, creating a vision and purpose, which I, I talked about already. But, you know, when we think about what our why is in physical education, um, teaching students about these affective components. Uh, Greg mentioned connectedness, but there are more. I mean, joy, uh, challenge, self-expression or artistic expression, even self-regulation. I have students all the time who are like, today felt really good because I was stressed out when I came in here and now I feel better. Those affective components uh, make up uh, components of a, a student's relationship to their own physical activity. So we, we have to be centering our why around why are we physically active around these affective components. And um, that is, to me, where we are going to get more kids bought into PE rather than saying, I can help you uh, run faster, jump higher, any type of, of physical skill that they could uh, learn. If they have a good relationship to physical activity, they can pursue those things outside of PE, if that makes sense. So, no, it does. So, I think what I hear you saying, we, you know, great teachers have always worked with social emotional learning or effect, effective learning, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and we change names all the time, but uh, the, the person remains the same. Um, but always that's always been there and and so but I hear you talking about you've got to look at all these things so just so I'm clear here because I happen to be an activity guy so is most of your PE about you know talking to them about why and the effective domain and that and and uh, you know less focus on activity no 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 so I would say 80 85 percent of the time in my classroom is spent being physically active, using a four-part lesson, getting the kids moving, playing some sort of game that we can pull out of our back pocket and they can just start smiling with. Uh, today, we played a full full body rock, paper, scissors game uh, just for two or three minutes. Kids had a great time with it. Um, you know, we do some type of, of movement activity that might be related to fitness. We can practice some skills and play some games. We move them through uh, four, five, sometimes six components of a lesson. And that makes up, right now I'm teaching shortened classes, but normally in a normal year, I'm teaching 74 minute classes. I give seven minutes at the beginning to change, seven minutes at the end to change. It cuts my lesson to 60 minutes. Uh, I'm giving my students uh, as, as much time as I can to be physically active. And then when it comes to time to put our equipment way, away and change, I, I give them some sort of small tidbit of this affective dimension of their learning. And I have them record what we did today and how they relate to what we did today. And that's why I said earlier, sometimes kids are like, I just didn't like today. I can look at their log and they can show me like, I didn't like what we did today. I was sore from yesterday and that just made me not like today or I didn't like what we did today, or I, I did like what we did today because I got to do the whole activity with my best friend. And so as I progress throughout a semester, they get these small chunks of me telling them on the way to the locker rooms, like, hey, don't forget, physical activity is a great way to you know, manage your emotions. And hey, don't forget that physical activity is a great way to connect with other people. And those little tidbits add up over time. And when they connect with them in their, their monitoring logs, over time, we can look at that information to make determinations about our relationship to physical activity. Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, I was being the devil's advocate because I know you have lots of activity in your lessons. And I think it was good to get you to clarify because a lot of times when you ask teachers to look at the effective side of teaching, they, they sort of say, 
look, my job is just to teach activities, not to worry about that kind of stuff. If they like it, they like it. If they don't like it, that's stuff they do it anyway. So I was being the devil's advocate. I know you're active, yeah, but you also absolutely. take a very active role in, in looking at the effective side of learning, the social emotional side of learning. Yeah, thank you. Um, let's, um, let's talk a little bit about the product of fitness versus the product process of physical activity. I get asked all the time about fitness, um, and, you know, developing fitness and at the high school, I think you can develop some fitness. I'm going to tell you later in the program I'm going to talk about why I don't think it's important at all with elementary kids but um, what do you focus on what how, how do you see that Greg I know you've developed a, a, have developed an app for monitoring physical activity and having students look at physical activity talk a little bit to me about the process of activity and how it fits into all this so yeah I'm, I'm... I guess like you, I'm, I'm much more about physical activity than the outcomes of fitness. And I think the, the key question that, that has to be centered around conversations on fitness is fit for what? And the assumption that uh, that we're trying to support young people become fit for maybe performance sport or maybe fit for fitness testing, it, it, it doesn't sit comfortably with the way the conversation has gone so far. And Jordan was speaking very articulately about, um, about the range of vocabulary that young people use to describe what they find motivating or occasionally demotivating. And um, which incidentally goes way beyond fun. Uh, I, people who work closely with me always accuse me of being a bit of a killjoy because um, I, I always question how uh, fixation in physical education with with fun um, and I think we do ourselves a disservice so when Jordan was referring to much deeper emotional connections around joy and delight and or challenge or whatever it is that the young person's getting out of being physically active uh, I think they're much stronger hooks than than fun which can be somewhat superficial but yeah uh, I think young people need to be fit enough to engage with physical activity in the way that they choose which desire to be physically active by the time they get to the age that Jordan's teaching at high school. By that time, they should have pretty good self-awareness of where physical activity fits into their life and what they get from it. And if that means um, going to throw, uh, throw a ball around in a park or, or play a casual game of tennis or just ride their skateboard, then that's the level of fitness that they need. Now, to take the fitness, to enforce fitness and monitor fitness going beyond that, I think there's really big questions about why would we want to do that and how does that fit in to the really big picture goal of a physically educated person is someone who freely chooses to engage with physical activity as part of their day, their week, or however regularly they wish to do so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And teaching fitness at the high school level both of you have said like you know there's there's some place for for fitness at the high school level i think greg articulated you know that it supports the individual child's relationship to physical activity and so if a student uh, has developed a positive strong relationship to a physical activity like olympic weightlifting uh, for whatever reason uh, maybe it's not because they want to pursue health, fitness, and performance. Maybe it's because they think it's fun. And so again, we're 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 circling back to these fitness activities uh, are definitely going to have benefit on our components of our fitness. But what if we teach kids how to relate positively to the active affective dimension of the fitness activity, um, and in ways that is uh, safe and welcoming to the students. So just to give an example of what happens in my classroom, I mean, um, I don't teach a ton of, of weightlifting in my class. I work mostly with freshmen. I've got a couple of, of upperclassmen. Uh, my upperclassmen take on the, the weightlifting a lot stronger. But if I want to teach a weightlifting, it, it might be more focused on the process of how do we pick, pick up something safely off the ground? How do we get our body in the correct position to do that? And we might use a PVC pipe 
and we say, hey, that's called a deadlift. And if you're interested in learning more about deadlifting because you, you think it's fun or because you do want to develop some, some fitness for performance or for whatever reason, then we can talk more about that. So I'm going to introduce those activities to them in my general PE class. I'm not going to make it the focus of my PE class, and I'm surely not going to measure their ability to do it because I think that is, is what is turning kids away from pursuing activities that are a little bit more uh, fitness-based and high stakes it's because they're afraid of failure. They don't want their number to get compared to another student's number or to a percentile range. And uh, even they don't want to put their number on paper and then come back and do it later and, and not have growth because they're afraid of what that might say about them. And so uh, lowering the stakes on some of these fitness activities in the general PE class might be a, a way that we can get students connecting positively to them. Great thought. Um, yeah, the, the fear of failure and the fear of embarrassment has stopped learning in its tracks for a lot of kids. Um, Absolutely. You, you can count on that. Uh, you know, Jordan had a question come in um, wondering how you gather feedback from your students about your monitoring logs and that sort of thing. Could you just give us Absolutely. a short blurb on that? Yeah, and I think it'll transition well into some conversations that I think we're going to have. But uh, I'm using Greg's app called MyMove. And so every student that is in my class has access to the app on their phone. Uh, and so what they can do is as soon as class is over and I've uh, allowed them to put their equipment away and right before they head to the locker room, hey, pull out your phone and we're going to take 60 seconds to fill out this log in my move. And I'm just going to credit Greg for making this an efficient process that can happen at the end of the class. Uh, it's five quick steps. What activity did you log? Or what activity did you do today? How long did you do this activity? How did you feel about this activity? And, and there are a range of emotional responses that kids can select. Uh, and then where did you do this activity? And then the last one is open response. It says, would you like to add anything else? I have my kids in step five answer a question related to step three, which is why did you feel this way? You know, step three says, how, how did you feel? I, in step five, you have to answer, why is it that you felt this way? And I've got some posters in my, on my walls and in my locker rooms, some components of your relationship to physical activity. And I might say, hey, what components feeling really good today? Are you feeling connected to your peers? Or did you feel challenged today? I might add a question like that to kind of get some different responses on a weekly basis. Well, Greg, Greg's a humble person and he won't say much about his work, but he, he's, he's done a lot of work on my move. And Greg, tell us how it works. I mean, just just lay it out for us so we have an idea of the instrument. I, I mean, I think Jordan's given an idea, but focus us in on does it, what platform it works on and et cetera. Yeah, well, the problem we've been trying to solve um, is a longstanding problem that within PE, and I would include youth sport as well, we, we've been advocating for physical activity retention for many, many years. And the, the truth is that it's really hard to know if we're actually getting anywhere. So we started off figure, trying to figure out how do we close the loop? How do we support the youngsters while at the same time provide really powerful data to the people who are working really hard to support children on this mission and on this journey? So my move is, as Jordan really clearly described, is a self-reporting app that sits on any mobile device of the, of the young person. Um, uh, we've been learning loads in the year and a half that we've been live as to when and how young people log activity. Jordan gets them to log straight after class, but of course, many of the young people he's working with, they're also, log, they're, they're also logging activity that they don't do with Jordan and they might do out of school. And that goes back to your earlier question that as physical educators, we're really interested in breaking down that barrier between in-school physical activity and trying to equip young people to reap the benefits and joy of physical activity, whether it be in the evening or on the weekends with their vacation and into adult life. So they self-report the data. Um, and then the, the teachers, the administrators, anybody within the organization logs into the web app and they can see headline dashboard data of activity levels within in this case the school uh, and they can then go deeper into granular data to look at what each young person's been doing 
to check the sort of responses very quickly and easily that Jordan is getting from the youngsters. Um, and, um, and there's also some additional functionality uh, around uh, messaging and communication uh, to try to prompt, celebrate, encourage and support the youngsters. Um, and there's, there's actually an assessment tool built into it, which is very much related to what we're talking about today, uh, around the likelihood of developing this physical activity habit. And some of the signs that we've had in the, in the first year and a, and, a, and a half have been really positive around uh, encouraging more activity, which uh, we think around 40% of my move users respond to say that their activity rates go up. To, and that's, we're trying to understand more why it goes up, but we think it's more to do with just being aware of, of, of the, well, they've got their journal, they've got a log. Um, a lot of youngsters, about 30% of the youngsters that we've asked have also said that their family's activity rates go up, which we were really surprised about, uh, but obviously delighted about. So we're learning a lot, and um, but that's basically, that is it. It's the mobile app that the young people uh, log their activity. We deliberately stayed clear of physiological data like steps and heart rates to make it really accessible. And then the teachers can see all the data in the back. Sounds good. Sounds really good. Let's take a time out here and look at a couple questions that came in. Um, uh, what advice either of you uh, would you have for parents to encourage their middle and high school kids to be more active? Jordan, that's probably the perfect question for you. Oh man. Um, so <laughs> yeah. I, I have a I have a daughter and I love my little girl. Uh, she's she's about to turn three in July, and uh, this might be for parents of younger kids. And we'll we'll see if I can answer the second part of the question. But I think one really powerful thing to say to your kids when they are developing their physical activity is I love watching you have fun, or I love watching you move, and. Um, that statement has so much packed into it. And as your students progress into youth sports, it's really hard. Uh, I was an active uh, guy in high school. I played on the soccer team. I, I wanted to play college soccer. And I'm sure one day I I'm going to be cheering on the sidelines and I'm going to want to say everything and teach my daughter everything. But it's really important to remove yourself and place your focus and your emphasis around how you feel about them being active and playing and saying things like, I love watching you play. I love watching you smile and laugh while you play. Um, I think those things are gonna have a huge positive impact on physical activity rates because they're going to start associating physical activity with a healthy relationship at home. So, um, I think that's something that, that parents can be doing. Good, and you're not gonna ask the dead end question, did you win? Yeah. Where are you uh, going to go with I, that discussion? I, I tell my students in physical activity, I don't care about points. If we can eliminate points from games, we're going to do it. Um, competition is great. And that's a component of, of your physical activity identity that if you want to, you can develop your competitive spirit. But it's not for every kid. And it, it doesn't actually matter in the classroom. So, uh, and I'm not sure it matters in youth sports either, but that's that's a different question. Well, it doesn't matter whether it matters. It's not the question yeah. to ask your kid when he comes home from youth sports or anywhere else. It's not yeah. even uh, all that worthwhile to a lot of athletes playing at a higher level. Uh, just think of all the things you could ask them. Did you enjoy yourself? Did you get a workout? Did you meet new friends? How was the weather? There are a million things you can talk about with your kids if you want to have a conversation without saying, did you win? Because if you didn't, where does the conversation go? Right in the tank. So, uh, you know, yeah, I think you gave us some some good stuff there. And I'm going to check on you in about 14 years when your daughter's a star in, <laughs> in, in soccer or something and see if you're still sitting back and say, gee, I sure enjoy watching all the fun you're having yeah. out there and or whether you're getting all cranked <laughs> up about wins and losses. But I, my I'm, wife's going to have tape anymore. on my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just having fun with you. Ah, that's good. Um, another question here is uh, about um, 
do we need to hold elementary kids? Greg, I know you've done a lot of work with young children. I mean, do you feel like uh, we ought to have uh, goal setting and hold little kids accountable for their activity levels? I'm not sure I'd say accountable. I think by the time, uh, and it's hard to put a fixed time on it, but at somewhere between that elementary into middle high school transition, um, it should be normalized. Ideally, it should be normalized. And, and that means breaking down a lot of the barriers that make physical activity a not normal part for, uh, for many kids. Um, so it needs, you know, I love the I in, in Jordan's big. It needs to be inclusive. Um, we need to be bothered, I think, if we've got evidence that a young person is not engaging in physical activity. And being bothered for me doesn't mean sanctioning or punishing or you taking punitive measures. It means reaching out. It means learning. It means inquiring and going there and having conversations with the young person and an elementary stage with parents, not on your child's not active, you need to do something around how can we best take care of the needs of this child? Is there anything that we're doing that's putting this child off of physical activity? How can we do our job better? How can we work together? So I think that's the level of accountability. I don't think the accountability is on them. I think it's on the collective. It's on developing that ecosystem that you know we, we all believe passionately, sometimes too passionately, that physical activity is so important. Without the knowledge, we're not really backing that up. So it starts, I think, with knowing how the young person's um, activity identity, to coin the phrase Jordan used earlier, is developing. I've always, uh, I think you said that nicely, Greg, and I've always said that if you want to destroy the fun of working out and playing and, and enjoying your peers and getting out and doing things, hold them highly accountable and that'll destroy it for them. Um, you know, we, we become so keyed up with accountability in our profession and we have so few ways to measure it. That's why we always fall back on fitness, um, because that's one of the few objective outcomes we have. But uh, uh, it, it, you got to be careful about what you're doing. In fact, if you hold adults who aren't too high on activity, if you hold them highly accountable for doing it every day and track them down and follow them and set goals for them and push them towards those goals, I guarantee you they'll quit in a hurry. Um, yeah. So it, it's good. Greg, you, you know, I, I know you've been critical of the perceived relationship between physical education and health. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, and I'm doing a lot of work with our, our friend Aaron Beatley on this at the moment. And so I think the first thing I, 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 like, I always say on this relationship, this perceived relationship, is first of all, where did the relationship come from? Where did health become a central part of our work in physical education? Because it, it hasn't always been that way. And it's grown out of perceived crisis around deficits in health. And I think those deficits have been um, uh, uh, put onto physical education from without physical education, from outside, specifically from medicine and from science and in many ways phys ed has had to like pick up that baton and run with it and it's not our baton so the first thing that happens when we become really fixated on the health outcomes of physical activity and please don't hear me wrong i'm not saying for a moment that there are not health outcomes uh, i'm just saying that they shouldn't be our drivers they are outcomes in some cases i think the other thing to acknowledge is that there's a lot of physical activity that is not actually health promoting and that puts us in a very difficult place if our goal is health promotion um like jordan i'm a parent uh, my daughter is our middle child she's now 18 and a few years ago she spent a couple of years uh boxing and i've never boxed in my life and i had very mixed feelings about her going to a boxing club. It turned out to be the, I would say, the most positive setting any of my children have been to to take part in physical activity. She was super well looked after. She was really enthusiastic. She learned loads. Now, if am I going to rationalize that to say, well, that's actually not health promoting in some ways? 
So any high risk, high contact, high collisions activity has got the risk of being health deteriorating, not health promoting. So it's a tenuous link at best. Having said that, it also we also tend to then get into health in a very narrow construct. So health tends to be about disease avoidance, uh, look after your heart so that you don't get coronary disease. And it also then verges into a very moralistic view of, health, of what health is and the choices people should make, assuming that they are, there's a big conversation around, do we have choice and where does choice come from? But it can, we can get very moralistic around uh, making judgments about people based on their physical activity pursuits, pastimes, or indeed their lack of physical activity. So look, if, if we stay in our lane, and that's a phrase that Aaron and I are using a lot in our work, if we stay in our lane and do the things that we've been speaking about for the last half hour, an hour or so, infusing kids to build a really positive relationship with themselves, their bodies and, and their and physical activity, then the chances are that more kids would end up healthier. They certainly would hopefully end up more active and the health outcome of that will probably follow. But I don't think we need to go out of our way to be, to pretend that we're pseudo-medics because uh, we're not. Right, yeah, right. We, re we really aren't. All right, I'm going to start to wrap this up. Jordan, I'm going to, here, here's, a, here's a good uh, question for you as you wind into this. Um, what can we do to ensure we graduate students with a PE, a physical activity habit? And do you do any kind of follow-up after they graduate to see if indeed they're practicing the physical activity habit once they're out of school? Because the real deal is if kids go through school and then become active. Right now, kids go through school and darn few of them become active adults. So I, I've okay. often said the profession must be failing. So I, I don't directly go out and, and reach out to students. I haven't done any collection of, of that data to try to, to find out. But I have students all the time who are really proud of what they're doing, who they'll, they'll self-report that back to me. So that makes me happy. But how can we ensure that we graduate our students with physical activity habits or the physical activity habit? Record, observe, analyze, and defend is kind of the, the acronym that I'm using in my classes. And this goes back to what we were talking about with Greg a minute ago, which is at what point in time do we start having kids goal set or monitor? Um, I think it starts with young, young kids making observations. Uh, you know, with your youngest of students, just like, hey, how did that feel today? We've talked about that a little bit. But at some point, we have to start getting them in the habit of recording that activity because that creates a quantitative data set of, you know, how many activities did I get to do this week? How often am I physically active? And, and that is going to be helpful to students to be able to make decisions about their physical activity. So record, observe, make observations about these affective components. But then we need to analyze. We need to give our students in high school some opportunities if, if we think about like um, what are the test grades that might be uh, relevant in high school physical education my students are analyzing their my move data and uh, one of my administrators here always tells me that evidence is data with a story and so my goal is to get kids to use data to create a story or a connection with their physical activity, and then they have to present that to their classmates. And one thing that we pride ourselves on at STEAM, we're, we're a deeper learning institute, and we um, are constantly asking our students to uh, deepen their learning and to share their learning. And so we have a fall and a spring presentation of learning night. And so it's very encouraging to me that I have students choosing this project from my class to present publicly to parents, community stakeholders, other teachers, other students. We have to get students on the road, R-O-A-D, to physical activity habits, record, observe, analyze, and defend. So that is, is what I'm working on, and that's what I think we can, we can do to make sure that our students graduate and want to be physically active for the rest of their lives. It's Nice, nice way of putting it. And uh, 
the fact when they choose your project, that's probably the greatest sign that you had an impact on them. Uh, yeah, so, absolutely. You know, that, that's great stuff. Well, uh, this is, uh, for the next few minutes, going to be Bob. You're going to have to listen to Bob go here for a few minutes. And, and uh, I, I've just uh, grilled you both, and you've, you've just been great. I want to say to you folks out there that, you know, some of the thoughts I have going forward, and you're, you're welcome, uh, we'll put up a place for you to respond, but you, you always ask about kids with disabilities, and we need another show on that. Uh, I want to take a clear look at fitness and the role it plays one of these days. Um, I want to do one for pre-service teachers and preparing, uh, you know, pre-service teachers, because I think sometimes um, we can give them some advice that will help them. Um, uh, I, and I also want to look at, uh, someone asked a question, I thought it was a good question, how do you make physical activity for preschoolers uh, lively and joyful? And I'll tell you one simple answer because I taught preschoolers, by being lively and joyful yourself. And that's probably true of all of life. Your students are a reflection of you and how you act and how you behave is how they're going to respond to you and so be lively and joyful let me talk about our profession i got thinking about how you know we really are three different levels in one three professions in one in fact there's not a lot of commonalities between elementary physical education middle school physical education and high school physical education and so i wanted to give you some things to think about because we've never been unified and we, we agree that fitness and activity and skill development are important outcomes and that social emotional learning is needed and equity issues need to be addressed. However, rarely do we agree. In fact, often we criticize each other at the different levels of, about what goes on there. And so once in a while, I think it's a good idea to step back and take a look and let me just tell you a little bit about each of the three levels because I've taught at all three levels and I know how different they can be. Let's look at the elementary age kids. They come into class in kindergarten with few skills and very little understanding about their physical capabilities. Elementary PE gives students a broad range of activities so they can learn basic skills and discover what their inner abilities are. The K through five years are a period of slow growth and it makes it an opportune time to teach skills and for them to learn skills because when motor when growth goes up the ability to learn skills goes down around the age of 8 students quickly identify students who are gifted student leaders at this age are often the most skilled and physically blessed fitness testing starts in elementary schools even though their fitness levels primarily improve because they're getting older and stronger those who excel in fitness at this level are probably succeeding because of their genetic gifts, not because of their hard work and a high level of conditioning. Balance and hand-eye coordination develop even though body proportions are skewed by a huge head and short limbs, which impacts quickness and agility. In addition, this age group needs to be nurtured, offered success in the physical arena, regardless of their ability level. It is important for them to find success, to feel good about playing with their peers and not to worry about how they compare physically to others. Sum it up, and a great elementary, elementary PE teacher keeps the fire burning and interest in physical activity high. Students should leave elementary PE with experience in a lot of activities. They may not develop a high level of competence because most children only receive an hour of PE a week. However, if they can learn some perceived competence and feel good about what they're doing through successful and positive experiences, they'll want to pursue that activity going forward. Let's look at middle school kids because there's a huge change. When students graduate into middle school, they enter the new body era. Everything changes physically and emotionally as they enter puberty. Middle school teachers experience a wide range of development and maturity. Some students are in the middle of puberty, while others are still pre-adolescents. Some are socially aware, while other students are awkward and lacking in emotional development. A class of students may vary four to six years in skeletal maturity. Small wonder 
that middle school teachers worked so hard to pull together a disparate group of students who are at many different stages of development. Remind yourself again, as I said earlier, when growth velocity speeds up, the ability to learn motor skills slows down. That gives you a big clue to how you're going to teach middle school kids in the skill areas. Even more challenging for physical educators is their physical development. The adolescent years bring a rapid decrease or increase in growth. Arms and legs grow longer and increased lever lengths make it hard to perform skills they once could do easily in elementary school. Students who were the fastest runners and best distance runners, by the way, they're both when they're in elementary school, now find they aren't so fast or capable of successful distance running because of muscle fiber differentiation. So now all of a sudden they have a whole new muscle makeup and skills they were good at, they're no longer good at that. And middle school kids do start to respond to some training. So they probably could show some fitness. What does it mean to a middle school teacher? You have to reteach all the skills you feel they should have been taught in elementary school because they now have a new body. It's not true that elementary PE teachers did not teach skills. They did. But unfortunately, the kid got a new body when he came to see you, and they have to relearn those skills. The more activities students can experience at middle school, the greater chance they will rediscover what they enjoy. Discovering activities that bring joy and satisfaction is a huge part of middle school. This discovery process often leads middle school teachers to lament that elementary teachers haven't taught their students any skills. While elementary teachers complain that kids learn not, like to pe learn not to like PE in middle school. That's a misunderstanding and it doesn't have to happen. We have to work together towards common standards and outcomes. And then there's Jordan at the high school. Students entering high school enter a time of stable growth, which allows them to refine social and physical skills. Many of the attitudes students bring to this level were developed before they arrived at the high school. The range of physical and social development narrows as they reach full maturity. High school students have strong opinions about their levels of competency in physical activity. You just heard Jordan allows them to tell him. They will work diligently to avoid activities that make them feel incompetent. Since growth has slowed and attention span has increased slightly, they can begin to learn a skill or activity in depth. Because many high schools only require one or two semesters of PE, the opportunity to master one or two lifetime activity seldom occurs. There probably won't be another time in one's lifespan where a person will have the time to practice and learn a skill they can use for the rest of their life. So let's offer high school students the opportunity to choose lifetime activities they feel are meaningful to them. Learning new skills takes at least a semester to develop real and perceived competence. Short four to six week units don't offer enough time and practice for in-depth learning. Only offering team sports or high level fitness courses turns off those students who prefer more recreational activities such as golf, tennis, walking, canoeing, functional fitness, I could go on. It's time to offer lifetime recreation, a lifetime recreational activity track so we can meet the needs of all students. Great high school teachers, and I think you heard one today, leave students with a positive feeling towards physical activity and moving throughout their lifetime. They are worth their weight in gold. By the way, all of you at every level are worth your weight in gold. So let me close. Words on the street, word on the street is that PE is offered only for students who already like physical fitness and sports, while other students fall to the wayside. It is time that we all work together at all levels to serve students of all shapes, sizes, and abilities. Regardless of the age of our students, we are all physical educators, and we all need to work together to create a strong profession. Within the profession, empathy and understanding for the difficulties each level faces is a must. Student growth and development characteristics are different at each of the three levels. I've watched teachers change levels and all of a sudden they're much more understanding of those teachers at their new level. 
unless you've walked in someone's shoes, it's probably better to try to understand them than to immediately shout out what is wrong with them. Let's try to help fellow teachers and keep the criticism within our profession. When you openly criticize others in your profession outside it, it taints the entire profession. Be patient, be constructive, and support your colleagues. It has been great to have the two of you on. I look forward to this. Um, Greg and Jordan, uh, do you have any closing words you want to share with our group before we sign off? Uh, well, just thanks for the opportunity to have the conversation. It was a real honor and uh, it's great to connect, you know, across the world, literally across the world and across time zones. Uh, if people do wish to uh, reach out and find out more, um, I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy for people to connect directly to me. It, um, I'm on Twitter at Greg underscore Dryer, D-R-Y-E-R. Nice. Nice. Yes. I would like to uh, say thanks, uh, Dr. Pangrazy, for the, the opportunity as well. Uh, Greg, it's always a pleasure. We've, we've had a couple of these Zoom calls over the last year, and I've, I've learned so much from you, and I appreciate the support that you give me in my classroom. Uh, I would love to connect with anyone out there as well. You can find me on Twitter at Steam Wellness, S-T-E-A-M, Wellness, and uh, I'm happy to answer any questions that you might have after this podcast. Well, you're both, you know, thank you for being teachers. Thank you for being in the profession. Thank you for all the contributions you make. And to the audience out there, thank all of you for being a part of our our profession. Uh, you do great things. Uh, so we'll see you at the next podcast, which will be in about four weeks, uh, probably the first Thursday in May, but uh, we'll certainly get it out to you in public. Thanks again, Greg and Jordan. See you soon. Thank you. Thank you.